And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. He will give it to Donald Brown. Donald fights his way. Now balls loose luck and snap. And luck scores. Andrew picked up the fumble and scores. Oladipo to win it. Another one. He got Another it. Oladipo. Another one. Victor Oladipo has given the Pacers a one point lead. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sam Sinclair, and today I'm joined by my new co-host, Jake Elrod. Jake, how are you doing today, man? Good, Sam. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Hey, so just introduce yourself to the listeners and um, explain how you became a Colts fan. Uh, yeah, Jake Elrod. I live up in the Chicago region, but I've been a Colts fan for 19 years now. Obviously, surrounded by Chicago fans, it was a tough transition but I loved growing up watching Peyton Manning and those guys play it was really neat to see that kind of family environment that the Colts organization let off and actually living in a different uh different team's market you kind of really appreciate what Jim say, even though he gets some flack from the national media and outside fans to see the kind of family environment he's built with the Indianapolis Colts it's really cool and an honor to be a fan of this fan base so I've been a fan for 19 years, and it's been a great journey, and I'm really excited to see this young roster play out for this year and in the future. Of course. So uh, some new real, some new news on the Colts' end. Uh, the Colts just recently traded Nate Hairston. Um, reported by Adam Schefter, the Colts traded Nate Hairston to the New York Jets for a sixth-round pick of 2020. So now the Colts have nine draft picks. They have their own seven uh, – their one through seven round picks. They also have the Redskins second round pick, which should end up being a top 40 pick, hopefully. And then they just acquired the Jets six round pick. Jake, what do you think of that? What do you think of that trade? Do you think there's anything more to it? Or was it just simply, you know, the Colts have too much depth at the corner and wanted to get what they could? Yeah, I really found it interesting because I think they're putting a lot of faith in guys like Marvell Tell. And obviously we know what Chris Milton can do in terms of gunning on special teams. But I did find it interesting they traded Nate just because he does have experience. But I, I did notice in camp and in preseason, he was struggling a bit. And we saw it a little bit last year that the zone scheme wasn't really his forte. Although he is talented as, as a man cover corner, uh, he didn't really fit the zone scheme that Chris Ballard wants, I don't think, as well as some of the younger guys that have uh, better physical skill sets, higher wings, uh, higher wingspan, things like that. But I thought it was really impressive he was able to get anything for Harrison because he, he probably wasn't going to make the roster anyway. Yeah. And I don't think Jalen Collins is going to be, it, it also depends on if they get, if they keep five or six corners, but I doubt it's going to be Jalen Collins in either instance. So I, like you said, it's probably going to be Marvel tail and Chris Milton. Those are probably two guys. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, you, you've seen Collins as much as I have. And honestly, he's, he's been a monster disappointment. He just consistently gives up catches. So that, that further, complicates the Harrison thing but we're so set at corner right now especially at the top um, that I don't think it's really going to change too much and again they're really high on Marvell Tell and Chris Milton's just too valuable as a gunner to give him up for Harrison so the the trade makes sense it was good for Chris Ballard to pick up additional draft capital and I think all in all it was a good move for the Colts okay 
And so do you think it would be a good move if the Colts signed Brock Osweiler, the guy they just brought in to uh but they brought in the facility today? I mean, I don't I don't foresee him as a as a long term answer, a backup. No. I've really been impressed with what I've seen from Chad Kelly. And I, I think that if he is brought in, it'll be a very short term thing. Um they they do potentially need a third guy. We don't know how Brissett or or Kelly, even if he's called in, are gonna hold up long term. So I think they are going to need a third quarterback in the future. So I'm interested to see if they sign him. Cause I don't think Philip Walker is making this roster anyway. He just, he's honestly regressed from what I've seen last year, which is kind of surprising. Uh, they are going to need a guy that's going to fill in that third quarterback role. So I'm interested to see if Brock Osweiler's the guy. He obviously has the tools. He's very big, has a strong arm, but none of those things have translated to the NFL and any sort of success. So I'm interested to see how that plays out with him for sure. Yeah, I'm totally against getting Brock Osweiler, and I'm honestly to- totally against keeping Philip Walker because I like to have the prototypical size quarterbacks, and obviously Philip Walker isn't that. It would make it it would make the whole situation so much simpler if Chad Kelly didn't have that two game suspension. But I think if the Colts end up getting a solid veteran quarterback, they could end up just keeping Cat- Chad Kelly on the whole on the uh, practice squad the whole year and just running with that backup quarterback, whoever it is. Um, I think it's more. They're probably going to pick up their guy once waivers, once, you know, everybody does their 53-man cutdown. Because, you know, I think the Eagles, they've got some fairly good backup quarterbacks. And there's there's a couple of, you know, teams that have fairly good backups that are going to end up getting cut. So I'd, I would watch, you know, uh, September 1st or, you know, August 31st, you know, when cutdowns are done, when Ballard goes into the waiver claims, if he ends up claiming a quarterback for the backup because – I don't. I really don't think Philip Walker's answer, and obviously we're going to need someone for at least the first two weeks. Yeah, and I think the Colts also are just doing their due diligence. I mean, this was such a last-minute ordeal, and there's really no corner quarterbacks available on the market. But they have to do some research on some guys. And you had talked about the Eagles quarterbacks. Nate Sudfeld's been a guy that they've kind of been linked to uh, as a potential candidate. So obviously, Indiana Hoosiers fans will like that, but. They they just I think they're just doing due diligence, kind of like they did with Jay Ajayi earlier in the season. Osweiler has some tools there, and I think they just want to kind of kick the tires and see if there's anything there. And of course, we wouldn't really be talking about Brock Osweiler if we didn't hear didn't have the shocking news on Saturday night. Of course, we po- postponed this po- this podcast uh, just to reel in our thoughts and just kind of you know let the moment happen and kind of you know let everything go and everything like that so we can get some clear and logical thoughts behind what happened Saturday night. And, of course, if you haven't heard the news or anything like that, Colts quarterback Andrew Luck retires on Saturday night. It was supposed to happen Sunday night during a press conference, but Adam Schefter did his job, of course, reported news. I think he would have done that if it was Tom Brady or if it was even Philip Walker. So he, Andrew Luck doesn't technically officially retire during the game, but the news breaks, of course, and then, you know, every so many different emotions happened during the game and after the game and so many days afterwards. So, Jake, tell me, where were you at? What were your initial thoughts? Just what happened when you saw that come on your screen and you saw Angelica's like, retired? Well, I was actually on Twitter the second it broke. Uh, me and my fiancé were watching the game on the couch and ironically talking about these receivers – playing with Andrew Luck. I mean, obviously, Deion Kane had a huge first half, and that's kind of what we were talking about as the news broke. And I think Pat McAfee put it, put it best, best. It seemed fake. 
I honestly thought Adam Schefter had been hacked. We've seen it so often on Twitter or, you know, false accounts. And I mean, obviously immediately you see the blue check mark, but I didn't believe it was real. I mean, we had just seen the week prior, he was working out. We had heard the comments from Peyton Manning that he felt like he was going to play and he was over on the sideline, cutting it up with teammates. So obviously it was a huge shock. And at first I didn't believe it for about 15 or 20 minutes until guys like Tom Pelissero and you saw follow up, follow up tweets from Adam Schefter explaining kind of why luck retired. And then uh, Ian Rappaport followed it. And then it kind of sinks in, you know, that this could really be happening, but it was just absolutely stunning. And I didn't believe it at first. Yeah, man, I was doing the same thing as you. I was watching the game. I was, you know, taking my notes, looking over them because third, fourth quarter, you're not really, you know, too deep into, you know, what's going on in the field. And then I get a tweet notification from Kevin Bowen. It just says, what the hell? And all caps. And I'm like, oh, I got to check this. And I see Adam Schefter. You got the blue check mark, like you said. Uh, looked through it. I read it probably four or five times. I made sure it was the actual Adam Schefter. Um, and I just, it literally, even after I read it a couple of times, I could process what he, what he tweeted and what was going on. And I looked at my grandfather, who's a Bears fan, and he was like, what's wrong? And I said, Angel Luck just retired. And he literally questioned me for like 10 or 15 minutes, even after the game. Like after they announced it on the TV, it like he was still asking me like, is this real? And I'm like, this is as real as it gets. And my phone literally shut down for like five minutes because everyone that knows that I'm a diehard Colts fan was blowing up my phone asking what the heck is going on. And I'm like, dude, I know it's just as much as you do. Like this is coming out of nowhere, man. And I was just, I was in shock for the most part. And then I was kind of, of course I was upset. Anybody's going to be upset losing their franchise quarterback, especially like that. And then I heard the booze and I, that kind of ticked me off a lot. And then I saw the press conference, Andrew like explaining, you know, what he's going through his dark place and everything like that. And constantly have to rehab and, you know, basically not living the life that he wants to live outside of football. Um, and then him crying and showing that emotion, it just, it, it took, it took me back a little bit and it just made me realize, you know, how lucky we were to have Andrew Luck. And it almost showed me that we didn't need, that we almost didn't deserve him. At least most of the fans, especially the ones that are that booed and the ones that are selling their season tickets now, because, you know, he retired for, you know, for his, his benefit. Andrew Luck wants to do something outside of football now or in his, in his, his uh, past NFL life. So, that's that was my initial reactions. It's just so many different emotions. I didn't go to bed till three a.m. Sunday night. I was at yeah. That's that's how, how wired I was that day. Yeah, it was the same here. And you know, you talk about the booing, and, and I'll talk about my feelings on it in a second. But in terms of the booing, and and I know it's it's indefensible, it's inexcusable. This was a guy who literally sacrificed everything during what could have been an extremely dark chapter in the Colts history with Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano running this franchise. It could have been absolutely brutal. And Andrew Luck kept us Super Bowl contenders almost by himself. So for fans to react like that is extremely upsetting. But from people from the outside have to understand too, this was the culmination of almost three years where the fans in this fan base have felt misled. Now, I'm not one of those that feel like that we've been lied to, but there is a large chunk of the fan base that was upset by the 2017 handling, which to set the record straight was just Jim Irsay hoping that Andrew Luck was going to be ready. There's a lot of talk that Chris Ballard lied, that Jim Irsay lied. Jim Irsay didn't lie. Jim Irsay was hopeful that his franchise quarterback came out and he made promises that he couldn't keep. So there was a situation there. And then we come up with now this offseason, 
they say it's a minor calf strain. Then it comes into the training camp and now it's an ankle problem and they don't know what's going on. So it kind of just seems like over and over again. And in the middle of this preseason game, these fans hear that their quarterback has retired. It's a very emotional moment. Colts fans have been through a lot over the last three years that people from the outside don't really understand or respect. And I think that it was kind of just a real emotional scene. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, well, we weren't booing Andrew Luck. It was more kind of the situation, which still doesn't change anything because booing Andrew Luck doesn't hurt Jim Irsay. It hurts Andrew Luck. And I, I, I swore I saw him coming off the field mouth. Come on. I think he was very upset with that. I think he felt disrespected. And Colts fans need to be better than that. But also, I kind of understand the fact that this was just a culmination, a raw emotion effect of three years where we've dealt through a lot of issues with our franchise and our quarterback. But in terms of, of his retirement, I completely respect where he's coming from. Like you said perfectly, he set everything on the line for us. For a guy to get hit over 450 times his first three years is absolutely unbelievable. It's inexcusable. And I, I think in his post-retirement post, uh, press conference, I think the fact that he didn't mention Ryan Grigson said a lot because he mentioned ball boys. He mentioned trainers we didn't know. He mentioned Chuck Pagano, his offensive line. He mentioned a lot of people, but... I think that Andrew Luck does have a little resentment for the way Ryan Grigson handled things, throwing him under the bus. He had been through a lot. Uh, so I, I completely respect and understand his side of it. And I just really hope he finds the happiness and the health that he's looking for moving forward. Yeah, in that press conference, he even mentioned guys like Samson Satelli and Hugh Thornton. He mentioned guys that, you know, Colts friends are, you know, aren't the most favorite type of players. You know, we think of those guys and we're like, oh, boy. You know, but we also you talk about the resentment between or to Grigson. You, know, you listen to Pat McAfee all the time. He 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 constantly dogs Grigson and talks about how bad of a person he was. And you know that whole situation was just really really bad, man. But of course, we'll talk a little bit more about the booing. I thought initially the booing was towards Luck. Of course, the whole situation just felt completely terribly. Like how how it all shaped out. How you know the report came out during the middle of the game and Luck's out on the sideline and. You know, it wasn't exactly how Andrew Luck wanted wanted to go. Of course, he wanted to announce to the team first. Like, literally, fans found found out before a majority of the team did. And I remember hearing on the broadcast after the game, uh, fans are literally chanting, don't do it, Luck. And I'm just like, wow, I can't believe it's really happening that, you know, he's retiring. And then I hear some boos, and I'm like, wow, they're really booing a guy that literally gave his body for this city. And, you know, we early on in his career, everyone talked about, oh, how is he going to you know, how is he going to surpass Peyton Manning or, you know, how is he going to come in after Peyton Manning after what all he did for us? And literally after a year or two, I wouldn't say we're going to, we wouldn't, we completely got, forgot about Peyton Manning, but, you know, everyone didn't compare Andrew Luck to Peyton Manning because Andrew Luck did so much for this city in different ways, you know? So I don't know. I just, I was completely against the booing. Uh, the more I think about it, maybe the fans were booing at Ursay and, you know, the whole situation and, you know, with luck retiring and all that stuff, but you mentioned how he might have said, Come on, when he's walking off the sideline. I could kind of notice he was getting depressed. Man, he, he almost started crying. I thought he was getting a little red in the face, and he showed it in the press conference when Chapel asked him um, if he heard the fans booing, and he literally hold, was holding back tears, and he said, It hurt. And it hurt me when he said that. Like, I, that's, that was my quarterback. And for people to not really disrespect him, but to treat him like that. The last time that he's ever going to step on the field, Lucas Olsteam as a as a member as a Colt, that hurt me seeing him be upset. 
because of how fans treated him that way. And of course, you know, those fans, they might've been intoxicated, you know, they might've not been totally into it and probably not the most diehard or loyal fans, but, you know, just to do that to a guy that meant so much for his city was so, you know, unwarranted. Yeah, certainly. I mean, and, and again, you can't defend what they're doing. You can try to justify it by kind of giving an explanation and, you know, us being connected with Colts fans and know a lot of them, you, you know how great this fan base is, how much we love Andrew Luck and even the fans at the game. I, I'm sure loved Andrew Luck. And, you know, my issue with the whole retirement thing was that it's been reported that people have known since Thursday. And now all of a sudden they're saying the press conference was scheduled for Sunday. But why? And I mean, I know Luck's kind of driving this ship. Frank Reich has said Luck's been driving this ship. But I just wonder whose decision it was to hold off from Thursday until Sunday afternoon and expecting in 2019, after multiple PR gaffes already, I mean, this franchise just, for whatever reason, as well run as Chris Ballard has it, cannot escape these PR issues. And if he knows on Thursday, they need to tell the world on Friday. It should, And I know they did, probably didn't want to overshadow the game. They didn't want to make this whole thing about Andrew Luck. And, and we know Andrew Luck's as private as they come. But with situations like this, you can't leave it to the national media or leave it to whoever he told, whether it be Brissett or Vinatieri or Riker, whoever it was, because we know the Colts didn't leak it. Somebody else did. Who, If you're telling four, five, six different people, you can't hope that this thing stays in-house till Sunday. I, I think that they owed the fans – and I think that it was the wrong move to try to wait until Sunday to leak this kind of inf- to announce this kind of information, knowing that everything is at people's fingertips, especially after what they've been through the last couple of years with Josh McDaniels and with Andrew Luck's shoulder thing. I just feel like that it was a huge mistake. And I'm sure they're going to look back on and regret it to try to hold this thing for three or four days. Yeah, and I. I completely agree with you on that because I, 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 that's what I've been hearing recently is that he decided on like Thursday before the game and, you know, they wanted to hold that meeting or that, you know, that retirement speech until Sunday night, which is kind of interesting. Well, I don't know why they would do that. I, I think your idea is good that, you know, they should have done it, you know, either Thursday night or Friday. But, you know, even before or after the game, what, whenever they did it, it was going to overshadow what happened on Saturday night for the game. And it's kind of crazy, you know, we saw Chad Kelly and Deion Kane, they absolutely balled out Saturday Saturday night against a fairly good Bears defense, and no one is going to talk about it because of the Andrew Luck story. Exactly, and that's what I don't think the Colts and Andrew Luck, because remember, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard have put this ball in Andrew Luck's court on the record a, a couple times. Chris Ballard, when he talked to Pat McAfee, and Frank Reich in some of his uh, post-practice Uh, discussions with reporters that this is Andrew Luck's show in terms of this injury. And I have a feeling Andrew Luck was one of the ones that said they wanted to wait till Sunday. I know that his uh, family was supposed to come in. Also, Oliver Luck was supposed to come in and his wife. And obviously that never happened. Um, So maybe he just wanted to make it to where his family could attend, maybe have a little more time uh, to prepare his speech whatever it was, or, or maybe it was, again, you know, a discussion with Reich saying, well, we don't want it before the game because then the guys might get distracted. We might not have as crisp a game. And like you said, I mean, that first half in this, in this game was as good as they've looked all preseason. It's not even close. And so I think that that may have played a factor in why they wanted to wait till Sunday. But like you said, Andrew Luck retiring trumps all of this. They've seen these guys in OTAs. They've seen these guys in camp. This third preseason game where you're not even playing a majority of the starters is not worth 
what happened to Andrew Luck. And and that, to be honest, that's why that happened to Andrew. Fans were booing because this was a spur-of-the-moment thing where they felt like, a lot of people felt like, and to be honest, I felt at first like Andrew Luck was quitting on us. And, you know, I'm I'm happy that we're doing this podcast a while later because it took me about an hour or so to kind of get that anger out. And, you know, a lot of fans don't really under, fully understand how much he was hit. I'm not one of those people. I've put how many times he was hit multiple, multiple times on my social media platforms. And I was still upset because I just kind of felt like, well, you know, we've been through so much as a fan base. And now all of a sudden it's culminating in our franchise quarterback leaving in the middle of the third preseason game. And it took us three or four days later to find out, well, this was a thought out process. And it was just the fact that they were waiting till Sunday to release the press conference. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like when that news popped, it came out like right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I literally did not watch the fourth quarter and I literally had to go re I had to go back, basically watch the last half of the third quarter and all the fourth quarter. Cause I did not watch the game. Like, I told my grandpa after the game and, you know, the day after I said, if an alien walked into the living room, I would have not noticed because that's how glued I was to my phone. I'm usually intact on my phone. I literally, my, my eyes might have moved off the screen maybe two or three times within a two hour time frame. That's how glued I was to my phone with this, with this news cycle. And of course I'll, I'll switch gears here a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about the press conference. I'll have to ask you, do you th- did you think Ballard looked pretty angry? It looked he looked pretty angry and pissed off whenever he was talking to the press because he was talking about Angel Luck in the past tense, which was very fairly interesting to see, of course, and Frank Reich was too. But I just thought, looking at Ballard's face, he looked so pissed off about either Angel the news how it broke, or you know, I think he heard it. Pro- I'm gonna guess that he probably heard it the same time we did, if he you know. If he did or not, I don't know. But it's almost – go ahead. Go ahead. I've heard that he had told Reich and Ballard on Friday. So he had a little bit of time to digest this news. But in terms of Chris Ballard being angry, I'm sure he is angry. I mean, this is a guy that's just been one, throwing one curveball after another, and it seemed like they finally have righted the ship after the 2018 season. And now all of a sudden he spent this whole other offseason answering questions about Andrew Luck's health. And – I mean, obviously, we're not in his head. We can't speculate, but maybe he is a little frustrated at this. Um, You know, I mean, in terms of football injury spectrum, this is very minor. And he hasn't been with Andrew Luck the entire time, although him and Andrew Luck have gotten close. And I don't know if he's upset at Andrew Luck. I mean, I don't see how he possibly could be. But I think it's just more so, you know, this guy's been throwing curveball after curveball since he took this job. And, you know, it's probably wearing on him a little bit. And he's just ready to put all these adversities behind him and get ready to play some normal football so, yeah that's what i was gonna ask really do you think he was more pissed off at the media and the pr and you know whoever leaked to adam Schefter, or do you think it was more of he was he's more still upset that angel luck is retiring and kind of almost leaving him at the altar like what um josh mcdaniels did a couple years ago well i mean you know I, I, and the thing with luck is he wouldn't have went through training camp if he wasn't intent on playing this season I mean, that's pretty clear. So I, I don't think Ballard's upset with that. I think you're probably right, and I didn't think about that, that he's probably upset that this news leaked. But the the issue I have here is how many times do you have to go through these kinds of issues before you take the rein and say, we're not doing that anymore? I mean, you go through it in 2017 with the shoulder, then the Josh McDaniels, and now the ankle injury where he had to go just two weeks ago on air and recorrect 
a false statement made by Jim Irsay. So, I mean, if Chris Ballard's mad at anybody about that, it should be himself because he plays a big part in this. And if he's going to wait till Sunday, you can, I just don't understand who thought that they could keep this in house till Sunday. If he was telling te- a couple, I mean, it was only a couple teammates from what we've heard. He told teammates, he told the coach, and he told the front office, which includes Ursay and Ballard. So when you tell four, five, six different people, it's probably going to get out, especially in today's age of social media where everybody's talking all the time 24-7. And I don't understand how Ballard can be upset at anybody but himself and, and the front office around him for, for holding this for three, four, five days. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on to a little bit of a happier to- topic. Uh, tell me some of your favorite Andrew Luck moments or some of your favorite Andrew Luck games that happened over the six years that he played for us. My favorite Andrew Luck moment is kind of an offbeat one. It was actually the 2012 game against Green Bay. And the reason being because when Andrew Luck came into this franchise, although he was considered a slam dunk superstar, everyone was talking about how great he was going to be. We've heard that about other guys before. And this guy was replacing somebody I loved growing up, somebody I know you love, everybody in Colts Nation loved, and Peyton Manning. And the question was, is this guy legitimate? And when he went up against Aaron Rodgers in that game, and I know a lot of people know that as the Reggie Wayne game, but Andrew Luck was phenomenal. And he went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. They were down at halftime, and he led them back to a win in the last second of that game. And that was the moment that I realized Andrew Luck is legitimate. That was when, for me personally, he stepped out of Peyton Manning's shadow. The Chiefs game in the playoffs was another one that was a big one for me. But for him as a rookie, I felt like, to go up against, at that time, arguably the best quarterback in the league with that roster, dealing with his coach with leukemia, being a rookie in this league, carrying the load of an offense on his shoulders. I was just so impressed with what I saw. And it's it's a game that I've never forgotten and really etched him in my mind as the new franchise player for this for this team. Oddly enough, that's, that's a game I had. That was my second. That was probably my second or third game, the Green Bay game, just to come back and I remember distinctively Andrew Luck taking that quarterback sneak and, you know, uh, spiking the ball and then hitting the Chuck Strong banner. And uh, I, I remember, I think it was that Sunday morning or it was Saturday night when they released the Chuck Pagano had leukemia and it hit me with a whirlwind like every other Colts news. And I'm just like, wow. So, and then of course, you know, throughout the year, everyone shaves their heads and, you know, the team makes the playoffs, of course. Another one I had, when I was younger, I was a lot na- not a lot more naive. And so I didn't understand football as much. So when the Colts released Peyton Manning, I was very, I very much hated Peyton Manning because I didn't understand the whole circumstance that was going on with that. I knew we were getting Andrew Luck, but I was just upset that we were, we were getting rid of Peyton Manning. And I, I don't know why I was mad at Peyton Manning for that. But the two, the two games that we beat him in, the, actually, the one that he returned, the um, Week Nine game, I think it was in 2014 or 2013. When he returned on Sunday Night Football, when we beat him, I remember Robert Mathis instinctively coming off the edge, getting that um, forced fumble sack, and then the safety. I remember that play instinctively, and I remember just Andrew Luck beating Peyton Manning and thinking, holy crap, we're in a good situation. If Andrew Luck, you know, this new this new newcomer, can beat Peyton Manning in his return game to Indianapolis, then we've got someone that's going to be really, really good for us for a very long time. And then I think, honestly, the the – peak of the Angela Colts was the 20 I want to say it was the 2014 season when we went to Denver to beat the when we beat the Broncos I think they were the number one or number two seed that time um, it was a year after Peyton 
through the 50 touchdowns. Uh, just going into Denver, I remember that was probably honestly the best game I saw the Colts play under the Grigson Pagano luck era. Well, that team only gave up 13 points to the Broncos. They scored 24. That was when, you know, Luck was throwing, Luck was throwing really great passes. He was doing, he was throwing checkdowns, which was like unheard of when Andrew Luck was playing at an early age or an early part of his career. And then, you know, just that, I thought honestly that at that point when we beat Kansas City, of course, the playoff game that was probably I remember turning off the game when Andrew Luck threw the interception in the third quarter, and then turning it back on later later on. That was my learning point to never turn off a football game ever. But that game and then the Denver game on top of that, those are probably the peak Andrew Luck as an Indianapolis Colts era. I think that was probably the best we probably saw of Andrew Luck, sadly. But that was, those two are probably my two favorite moments. Yeah, and one more touch on that, and it, it's amazing. I, I hear it frustrates me when a lot of people on the outside say Andrew Luck didn't accomplish anything in his career. For him to go into Denver – that game. And like you said, it was a complete performance. Everyone did their part. We only gave up 13 points, which was incredible. And Peyton was obviously hurt, but for Andrew Luck to go in there against that defense with the roster that he had, and this is really for all playoff games. I mean, his, his rosters were far inferior to any playoff team that he faced in the postseason. but for him to do that, to go against Peyton Manning in the playoffs and play as cool, calm and collected as he had, that's just why I can't believe anyone can watch him or, or see that and say, he didn't accomplish anything because I felt like that was just such a phenomenal moment for him. And, and we talk about our favorite moments, but the more you talk about him, it's, it, it becomes harder and harder to pick because he had to face so many big moments by himself. Essentially, he had such little help that it was it was just amazing that he was able to get us to that New England game. And, yeah, that Denver one definitely sticks out for me also. I remember rewatching it. I watched the highlights or whatnot of that game. Trent Richardson was a healthy scratch. Do you remember who the backup running back was? You probably don't. No, I do not. It was Zerline Tipton. Oh, Angel Luck man. won a playoff game with Zerline Tipton as his as his backup running back and Boom Heron. I won't slander Boom Heron because I loved Boom Heron when he was here in Indianapolis. But Zerline Tipton was the backup running back for the Colts in tw- in that playoff game. That's that unbelievable. Just, that just shows you the lack of talent Angel Luck had. That that is unbelievable, and you see a lot of graphics, old graphics of the starting lineups that go across the screen, you're like, how did this guy win 11 games and three playoff games his first three seasons every year with this roster? It just, at the time, you're caught into it, and you don't really realize what he's doing. But you look at those rosters now, and you think, how did he do that? As a 24-year-old quarterback coming in replacing a guy like Peyton Manning with Chuck Pagano, of all people, as your coach, the fact that he won all those games, it's just unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on to the new starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts for now, of course. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, do you think the Colts should pay him if he if he has a good season? Uh, if we're talking like 30 touchdowns, you know, three, 4,000 yards. And let's say the Colts win nine or ten games and w- make a playoffs. Do you think the Colts should pay him not necessarily top ten quarterback money, but, you know, around that $20 million range? If they can get him for $20 million, I would do it. As long as as long as long he doesn't crap the bed, and I don't think he's going to. I think he's, he's going to surprise people this year. But if, if they can get him for mid-tier money, I would pull the trigger on it instantly just because of the fact that Chris Ballard has proven that he can build an elite roster. 
I mean, in just two years, our roster is arguably top five in the league now outside of quarterback back, obviously. But we've seen over the years what teams can do, even with mediocre quarterbacks, with the right roster around him. So if Jacoby Brissett has, like you said, if he throws for 30 touchdowns and 4,000 yards, I, I would absolutely resign him at that. But even if he does a little bit worse than that, as long as he shows that he cannot turn the ball over, hit plays when we need him to, I absolutely think that they should try to offer him a contract after this season. Do you th- I've been hearing recently that the Colts are actually trying to put an offer together right now and sign him. I guess, I don't know if it'll be like a four or five year deal, but I'm going to, it might be a two or three year deal. Do you, would you be for signing Brissett already? Even with the, the unknown ability that he, you know, we haven't seen him in the Reich system and the Boward, uh, the Boward um, roster. Well, exactly. And this is where we're just going to have to put faith in our coach and our GM, right? I mean, with Andrew Luck here, Everybody was pounding the table about how great Frank Reich and Chris Ballard are. Well, we're going to find out. And if Colts fans are going to trust in these guys, we have to trust in them. So if Chris Ballard and Frank Reich say Jacoby Brissett's our guy, he has the talent, he fits the system, then we're just going to have to trust and believe in it. Um, You know, again, what we've seen on tape, I wouldn't necessarily spring for it yet. But if they decide that he's the guy, they've watched him every day in practice. They've seen what he can do. And Frank Reich has an excellent track record with quarterbacks. He's worked with Peyton Manning. He's worked with Phillip Rivers. He's worked with Andrew Luck. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl with him. So if Frank Reich pounds the table for Jacoby Brissett and says, listen, this is the right move, then I'm going to go with them and, and just roll with Jacoby. And you talked about, you know, Ballard building an elite roster. In 2017, when Luck didn't play, you know, this went from 11-1 team to, you know, fans were talking, you know, almost 0-16 you know, but now in 2019, with us completely losing Andrew Luck, we go from a you know an 11, 12, maybe 13 win team to, you know, we're thinking six and 10 might be the bottom out. Like this team is still gonna be a fringe 500 team, with you know losing an elite level quarterback like that. Yeah, and I I think Jacoby's gonna do really well. Like you said, six and 10, I think is the absolute floor. And I know we're gonna touch on Jacoby a little bit more. But in terms of this season, I, I think that this team's going to be very competitive, and I think that that he's going to prove that he is the guy that can lead this team moving forward. So we'll get into a little bit more in depth in another podcast. But what do you think the record? What do you think the expectation is this year? Do you think it's uh, record-wise? What do you think it is, and where do you think they could place in the uh, in the division and within the conference? You know, it's interesting because my the biggest X factor is obviously Brissett, and and this team outside of the quarterback is, is probably a 12 win team. And with Frank Reich's offense last year and, and with Andrew Luck getting so many wide open receivers and the offense just looks so smooth and easy. I would not be surprised if this team won 10 games. I'm not trying to be overly optimistic, but I just, the biggest thing with Brissett's accuracy and touch, but Reich had such a great ability to get guys wide open. I mean, how many times Andrew was phenomenal last year, but how many times did you just see guys scream? screaming across the field wide open, Eric Ebron wide open, Chester Rogers wide open. And I I really think that Frank Reich's offense is going to really change a lot for Brissett and this team. And and with the roster outside of him being a top five roster, if we win 10 games, I I really won't be surprised. See, that's the thing. I think the ceiling is actually 10 wins. I'm thinking more of eight and eight, nine, seven. I think that could very much change. Like, let's say if we go to San, if we go to Los Angeles, and we beat the we beat the Chargers, and then we you know we, we go into Tennessee and win. We start off two and zero with two road victories, two impressive road victories. 
come back to Atlanta and Oakland, and then you know we go to Kansas City, and you know before the bye week, maybe we're four and two, or 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 you know three and two, or either you know you know four and one, maybe. I mean, that's just a we we don't know yet. Like that's the biggest unknown question of what what does Brissett look like in this offense, and how is this offense really going to look? Because Reich said he's not going to change much of the playbook. I don't think he really needs to. I think he just really needs to just game plan a little bit more towards Brissett's strengths. You know, maybe not take, you know, Brissett, if Brissett is good about, you know, Brissett, we, he's got the crazy good deep ball. He's got a cannon for an arm. Maybe the Colts take a little bit more deep shots last year. I think they were near the bottom of the league and, you know, plays over 20 yards. So maybe that they do that. Maybe they throw more screen plays to, you know, get his rhythm in. We'll, we'll have to see, especially week one against the Chargers, that'll be a very tough matchup. Yeah, and I think with I think with Brissett also, I think the thing that I want to see more of him is better accuracy and touch, but also too his his targets are better and they're bigger. So I think that that's going to take a little bit of pressure off him to throw the perfect ball. We know Andrew had to do that so many times with guys that were just physically limited, where he couldn't get the ball to guys unless it was perfectly thrown with perfect touch, perfect accuracy. But with Reich's offense and with these skill guys now having the speed and athleticism that we have, I think that that could really, really benefit Brissett in terms of helping control his deficiencies because those are the ones, like you said, you know he can throw the deep ball to T.Y. He targeted T.Y. and Jack Doyle an absolute ton in 2017. And now with these guys that he has, Paris Campbell, he has Deion Kane that can burn, Devin Funches has uh, underrated speed, and, and Eric Ebron, we know what he can do physically. I think that that's really going to allow us to see another level out of Jacoby Brissett. And that's why the 10 win mark for me, because, and another interesting stat is Jacoby Brissett only had seven interceptions in 15 games. That's a crazy number to me, considering he arrived here eight days before the season starts to turn the ball over that limited amount. If he is able to keep those plays to a minimum, the turnovers like he did in that season, that's what I'm talking about where the roster comes into play because we can run the football. We, we can get turnovers on defense. The Colts were phenomenal on defense. And hopefully with the addition of Justin Houston, we're going to be able to make bigger plays on opposing quarterbacks. But with our roster around him, as long as he does his part, I, I see this as a 10-win team. Okay. So um, we'll talk about a little bit of his strengths and weaknesses. Of course, we know about the arm strength. Uh, I, I instinctively remember the 49ers game where he had that play action. He threw that deep ball on the run to T.Y. Hill, and I was actually there. And – I remember him seeing the roll out because he threw it towards my end zone. He rolled out and threw it. And I'm like, well, where the hell is he throwing that? And then I just see T.Y. come underneath the ball. And I'm like, where? Wow. Why? Where'd that come from? That had to have been a 50 or 60 yard throw like that. Honestly, impressed me so much. Um, what do you think are some of his weaknesses? We'll start off with weaknesses. What do you think are some yeah, of his kinda, weaknesses? Yeah, I kind of spoiled it a little bit, but the biggest two for me that are, are going to be interesting to see, especially with Reich's system, is his accuracy and touch. And Frank Reich's offense calls a lot for timing routes and intermediate routes. We saw that a ton with Luck last year, and that's arguably Luck's biggest strength was his intermediate game. And that's where Brissett can kind of struggle because he doesn't provide great accuracy and that he always fires the ball in there. There's very rarely arcing passes. There's very rarely great touch on his passes. And, and that's where I feel like, and also his decision-making, he holds onto the ball kind of a bit. And that's another thing with Luck getting rid of, of the ball under 2.6 seconds last year. That's going to be something Brissett has to improve on also is making quicker reads. 
And so that's what I'm going to be interested to see with him sitting behind Luck last year with another year under Reich's system. Is he going to take take those next steps? Because he has the rare traits that you want in quarterbacks that most quarterbacks in this league don't have. He has an elite arm and he has great leadership skills. He seems like a guy that's unflappable. He seems like a guy that you want to go to battle with. And that's hard to find even in, in good quarterbacks. So he has, I think, the hardest traits down. I think it's just the little things, the little nuances that that separate him from the top, you know, 11, 12 quarterbacks to where he is right now. And I really want to see him next year work on the accuracy and, and improve his touch. And see, here's the craziest thing about evaluating Brissett. We're evaluating him on the 2017 season, of course. We're evaluating him under targets that are no longer here. You know, receivers that are no longer on the team. We're evaluating him under a scheme that's no longer here. We're evaluating him under, you know, very little practice time. He came in here, I think, on Labor Day, the week before the game. And basically, he didn't play, of course, that first game until the fourth quarter. And then he throws out that 50-yard bomb to Dante Moncrief. But it's, for sets almost like a, I wouldn't want to say a rookie, but like we haven't seen him in the scheme. We don't know if, you know, he's Reich's going to call plays to get the ball out of his hands quicker, which of course will help with his lack of, you know, I I agree with you. I think he holds the ball too long. And that was Luck's caveat early. And then look what Reich did. He he got Angelo, he got the ball out of Angelo's hands really fast. Uh, One thing I think it goes overlooked a lot, I think Brissett has some fairly good wheels on him. I think. I don't think he's like blazing fast. He's not Andrew Luck fast, but you know, if he needs, he had four rushing touchdowns in 2017. I think he had two against the Browns, uh, but he's also very elusive in the pocket. We saw twice against the Browns in the preseason where he eluded a, a, a free rusher and he delivered, he delivered a pass for a first down. And I, I looked a little bit in 2017 and there was a couple times where he eluded a rusher or, you know, moved in the pocket there's sometimes he does run into a rush or, you know, he holds the ball too long, of course, but there are times where, you know, if he sees a rusher or anything like that, he is able to move out of the pocket or move away and, you know, get extended time to make a throw. Yeah. And he made a couple of plays. I remember against Houston last year, T.Y. had a huge game and Brissett caused a couple of those because he had eluded pressure. And, you know, that's the thing. The kid's only 26 and he's barely had any starting time in this league. I mean, you had talked about not wanting to call him a rookie, but most rookies get OTAs in training camp. This guy arrived here eight days before the season started. He might not even have known the names of those receivers he was throwing to. He I knew, mean, Chester he Rogers knew, was... He knew T.Y. Hilton's name. That's it. He didn't even know Jack Dole's name. Yep, exactly. And and Chester Rogers was our third receiver then. I mean, outside of T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle, that was, his, that was another one of his favorite targets. Moncrief had a couple plays, but I remember... That season, Chester Rogers was one of his favorite targets. And now Chester Rogers with this team is, is only going to make the roster because he's our only reliable punt returner. In terms of the athletic, and I pointed to it earlier, the athletic ability of this receiving core and the tight end core is far beyond anything that Brissett had in 2017. And that's why, you know, I don't want to overhype him or anything, but he has all the tools to be a successful franchise quarterback. And you hear guys like Bill Parcells and Frank Reich really talk highly about this kid and the more you study him and watch him and you look at his physical tools you look at the things he can do in terms of like you said he he has good mobility he has pretty good pocket awareness for a guy who doesn't have too many live nfl snaps under his belt and if he can just take a couple more little steps i think that he is going to really really surprise some people next season and i'm really excited to watch him play well bill you mentioned bill parcells he actually you know he he told 
uh, Bill Belichick to draft this guy, and he drafted him in the third round, which, you know, the Patriots aren't really known for drafting quarterbacks, especially that high. I know Brissett, you know, to be drafted in the third round is that's pretty. I mean, that's not that's that's about the same round that Russell Wilson was drafted in, and look what he's done. He's won a Super Bowl, and he's been to two of them. So, uh, one thing I really, really, really love about Brissett, he's a great, great locker room guy. But I remember, and I remember so easily the Seattle game when we went into Seattle and we were up in the first first quarter in the second half. And I remember Brissett coming to sideline after I think he threw a touchdown. And he was just fired up. He was screaming and yelling. And he was, you know, getting the guys pumped. And I'm like, you know, I, in my head, I'm thinking, that's not something Angel Luck does that I really no. love that Brissett does. And I'm not knocking Angel Luck. Everyone's got their own leadership qualities and leadership, you know, ways they do things. But I kind of like that guy that gets fiery. That's why I like Tom Brady because he gets on people's ass when he needs to. He gets fiery. He shows his emotions, which uh, that's, a, that's one thing I really, really love about Brissett. Yeah, and, and you had talked about it, and, and I mean, the fiery thing can kind of wear its toll if you don't have the right amount of play behind it. But, you know, I, I do find that interesting that Brissett could be a guy that really gets this team more emotionally charged than Andrew Luck could. And, you know, you had, t- you had brought up the Russell Wilson comparison. I find that interesting because I had thought of that actually a couple days ago. Russell Wilson coming into the league wasn't considered an elite prospect. But he, he had similar tools to what Brissett does. Now, he's much more mobile, but he had a fantastic deep ball. And over time, he was able to, to refine his skills and, and be more of a complete quarterback. And that's what I, I really think that we could see from Brissett because of the, because of the roster around him. And, and again, I think that this could be a big season for him. Of course. So, Jake, first episode, give us your final thoughts on the Angelic retirement and how do you think Brissett will do? Well, I mean, obviously, I want to thank Andrew Luck for everything he did. Um, you know, personally, for me, uh, my fiance and I got together in 2011, and her first play watching was Andrew Luck's touchdown to Donald Brown. And that converted her into a Colts fan and connected us on something that was, you know, football is more than a hobby for me. It's, it's a lifestyle. And he brought her into that for me. So that's always something. We, we were really emotional together actually Saturday night because of that. So I want to thank him per, on a personal level for doing that for me. And then just all the magical moments he gave us. I mean, we touched on it a ton in this podcast, but you know, I, I, I thought that also or earlier, I was thinking about, you know, what, how is he waking up the last couple of days? And I would imagine that he's probably waking up very stress-free, probably sighing relief right now. I know he's probably upset that he's not with the team, but I, I really think that he's going to find the happiness he's looking for. And I'm really excited to see what he does in the future, whether it's on the field or not. I think that he's going to do great things still in this community. And, and I look forward to hearing from him in the future. So thank you, Andrew. We really appreciate everything you did. Obviously all of Colts nation is sorry about the booze, but I, I know the Colts fans are going to make up for it the next time that we have the opportunity to a Lucas oil. And it was just an honor to have you for the seven seasons that we did. And in terms of Jacoby Brissett, like I said, we've touched on him a ton. Also, I think he he's primed for a pretty good season and I look forward to see what, what developments he makes and to see if this is the guy moving forward because a lot of Colts fans, and, and this is the thing I wanted to bring up, a lot of Colts fans are talking about the draft next year. I honestly think we really need to hope that Brissett is the guy because I don't think Colts fans really appreciate, because we've had Manning and Luck, how hard it is to find quality franchise guys. And I kind of went through it a little bit in terms of guys next year in the draft. And I didn't really see too many guys that had skill sets as that were better than Brissett's. And we have him in in house right now. 
And I really am hoping that next year he takes those steps to refine his game and turn into the franchise quarterback. Just just a solid franchise starter that can help complement the, the roster that Ballard built. And I think he can do that. So I'm excited to see him play next season. Corson, Andrew, if you end up listening to this podcast somehow, I really appreciate everything you did, man. And literally, I said on my I said on my personal page on Twitter, I said if I was at that game and I saw you walk off the field Saturday night, I would have cried because it would have really depressed me that, you know, we lost a great quarterback at the basically the prime of his career. Like the guy was just now hitting thirty in September. He was he was still gonna have at least five more solid years. And to see him just give up everything and we gave back so little to him. We didn't give him the resources until late in his career when it was basically when he was basically done and you know fans booing him off the field and you know all that stuff he did in the community and just everything we everything he gave to us and we gave back so little to him it just it would have it would have honestly made me cry to see him walk off that field one more time in Lucas Oil Stadium especially with how the fans treated him but I I really appreciate Angel look for all he did man he he made the Manning transition the end of the Manning area into a new era of, of Colts football. He made it so seamless and so easy. And he almost made us completely forget about Peyton Manning uh, and everything like that. And I expect Andrew Luck, if he doesn't have his number retired, he should be in the ring, ring of honor. He should have both at least. I think he, he gave us, he gave us everything in six, seven years. And of course, Brissett, he's the next guy. I think he's the next franchise quarterback. I think he could be that next guy for the Colts. I don't know if he's going to be the elite level like Peyton Manning or, Angel Luck, but this roster is set up to where Brissett is going to have to do, you know, not elite level things. He's not going to have to do special things for this Colts team to be very competitive. And I think this team is going to be very sneaky on people. People are going to write us off because Angel Luck's gone, but people are going to realize in October and November when we're, you know, over 500 Brissett's playing good that we're still competitors with our solid roster. So that's, that's, that's what I have on Angel Luck and Brissett. Um, of course, guys, we got a brand new, um, a brand new listing on our website. Uh, of course, I'll have a link in the description. Uh, use promo code LUCK, that's L-U-C-K, to get 25% off all items on the per, on the, um, on the list, on the store. So check that out. That's good until sem- Sunday, September 1st, which that'll be cut down day. We'll have, a, we'll have an episode for that about the roster and how it constructs on the 53-man roster. Um, thanks, thank you again, you guys, of course, for listening to the podcast. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, appreciate the new listeners that are coming on. We're going to be getting more and more stuff going, coming as the season is only a week away. It's crazy to think, uh, of course. And make sure you make sure, of course, you leave any feedback if you appreciate the show or you think if it, there's anything we can improve upon. Uh, of course, you guys have a good rest of the day.